You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Courtney Evan-Tate on the show with me today. She has a fantastic new book. It's called The Last to See Her. And let me tell you guys, you know, these these long, cold uh, uh, winter days where you just want to curl up with a great book. This is one that you need to have uh, in your your to-be-read pile this year. The Last to See Her out everywhere today. And uh, welcome to the show, Courtney, and uh, happy release day. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me and saying such kind words. I have to ask, your your accent is so charming. Where are you from? South Mississippi, down oh, uh, near I the Gulf that. Coast. I knew it was the deep south somewhere. I just didn't know where. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Courtney, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, this one's easy. I was, um, I was so little, I think I was maybe nine or in there. And I read, um, uh, where the red fern grows in school. And I rushed ahead. I remember I grew up on a farm in Kansas actually. And, um, I was always a fast reader and I remember I was, I was reading ahead of the class. I was at home and I was reading ahead of the class and I got to the end at home. I was sitting in the barn and the end of that book just completely shattered me. And so I wrote a different ending myself. And, um, from that moment on, I just loved the idea of being able to, to alter stories or to write my own. And so, cause it just made me feel so much better having that alternate ending. And I thought, man, that, there's such a power in that. So I just, that's when I caught the bug. That's amazing. I also <laughs> remember having uh, a, a visceral experience with where the red fern grows. I, <laughs> I can remember where I was when I finished that book. I, I, I went with my grandparents to my great aunt's house, my, my grandmother's sister, and uh, I, I was sitting on her bed reading uh, one afternoon and I got to the end of that book. And yeah. I just remember being completely wrecked by that. Yes. Book. yes, I was in the hayloft and I can literally remember the smell, like the sunshine yes. in and the hay. And, and it was the first book that ever really made me cry like that. Because, you know, when you're little, there's always a first book that you cry right. to have a happy ending. Right. And so that was mine. And I'm like, Oh my God, how did they, why? <laughs> so I just rewrote it for myself, for my own peace of mind. And um, yeah, no, that's a great book. It just didn't end the way I wanted it to. <laughs> right. well, it, it's such a, a powerful thing for, you know, we talk a lot about um, you, when kids realize that people make books and they don't just appear mm-hmm. out of you know, out, out of the other world or something, they, the people are behind these. And, mm-hmm. and for a lot of people, that's a kind of an awakening moment that, well, if people made all of these books, then mm-hmm. I can make a book. And that, that's a very empowering thing. And, and it's a, it's another experience when, when you have, when your emotions have just been wrung out by, mm-hmm. by words on a page and it, the, the way that you can communicate with people across time and space and, 
that that words are powerful. That that's a that's an awakening of, of its own for a lot of people. Absolutely. And that all happened for me in that moment because I, I had to remind I literally remember reminding myself, OK, this is fiction. This isn't real. And if this isn't real, I can change it. And so, yeah, it, it all happened just as you said, right in that moment. And that was my moment for sure. So, so Courtney, from there, um, and and creating your own uh, for for your own edification and, and enjoyment, mm-hmm. how did that transform into? Uh, I'm I'm going to create worlds and characters of my own. You know, um, as I grew a little older, I mean, I was always such an avid reader, and um, as I grew a little older, I would start writing um, poetry just, you know, as little girls probably do, you know, um, just to like, know my feelings and have a place to just be myself, you know, because when you're so, when you're small, you know, you always want to be somebody else at school and say the appropriate things or whatever. But when you're by yourself and you're writing in a journal or poetry, you can really just be yourself and say whatever you want. And, um, that's kind of how it progressed. And then I remember when I was in junior high, uh, an English teacher, we had read um, The Call of the Wild. And so we all had to, I can't remember exactly what the assignment was, but we all had to write a piece of fiction ourselves um, in that time period and place. And when I submitted my assignment, she said, you know, you've really got talent. You know, when I was in like seventh grade, I think at the time. And, um, you know, so that was when I really, you know, first thought, well, maybe I do have talent, you know, started, I just kept writing from there. And I remember my mom told me at some point in high school, you know, writers don't make any money. So I got a business degree later on instead, but then, um, and I worked in marketing for the company who makes Humvees for the military and I never could shake the writing bug. So I would write in my spare time and, you know, eventually I became published and, you know, the rest is kind of history. I just started um, when I was able to a couple of years later, I started doing it full time and I've never looked back. You know, we've done more than a thousand episodes of this podcast and we've talked to writers from uh, from all over the spectrum. And, you know, invariably there is there is this. um this idea that gets spread about and gets told to kids and and young people all the time, um, you know, writers can't make money, find mm-hmm. something else to do. And I'm sure that goes the same for kids that want to be actors or mm-hmm. uh, in, anything in the arts. You know, you can't make money at that. So go get a real job. And as a father of five, um, I have told all of my kids to make sure you have something to fall back on. I, I think that's mm-hmm. good advice, but mm-hmm. not at the expense of you can't do what your heart's passion is. Um, you know, you just, you may need to make a living while you pursue that. And I, I think that's probably a, a pretty fair balance, but w- what do you think about this idea? And, and it gets told to kids all the time, you can't do this because it won't make any money. Well, you are obviously making a living and, you know, hundreds and thousands of other authors out there are doing the same and, and proving that to be wrong time after again. Um, what do you think about that advice? And, um, what is it, how does it make you feel? You know, I, I know my mom meant well, and now that I'm a parent, I understand too, because, you know, you want to know that your kids are taken care of always, you know, and yes. you have their best interests at heart. And it is a hard, it's a hard world to break into, you know? So for me, my first breakout book, 
um, I had a couple published with smaller presses and then my breakout book, if you stay, um, it was a matter of hard work aligning with, you know, luck and timing and all the stars aligned for that book to really just take off and become the New York times bestseller that it did. And so it, it won't happen for everybody, but it, it's something that is still, you should work for. I mean, like, don't give up on your dreams because you don't know if you are going to be the people who make it. Not every actor is going to become, you know, super famous or a celebrity. But I also think that you don't always need that to be your payoff. I mean, I would still be writing even if I couldn't make a living at it because I just love to do it. It's like in my blood, you know, like if I couldn't write, I would be so miserable. So I feel, but on the same token, I do feel like you can, I don't want to say everybody could, could make a living as, as a writer, but if you're willing to put the hard work in, and I mean, I think this goes for all the arts too. I think if you're willing to just work hard, put your, your blood, sweat, and tears into it, you are going to get a payoff, you know, that's, that's enough, but, um, you just have to be willing to work for it. And if you love something, you're willing to work for it anyways. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that, and, and everyone doesn't have to get rich at it, but there's, mm-hmm. you can definitely make a career at it. And, oh, you know, there used to be this idea of the mid-list writer, mm-hmm. um, people that you wouldn't necessarily recognize in the grocery mm-hmm. store, but yeah. they could absolutely support a family doing this. And, and yeah. that is plenty for, uh, yeah. for a lot of people. And that's still the middle list is still a reality for, yeah. for many, many people. And there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. I mean, um, if you make a living doing what you love to do, I think that's an amazing thing. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what we all dream of, honestly. It absolutely is. And you know something, my grandma told me once, do something that doesn't feel like work, you know, like yeah. do something that doesn't feel like work. And if that thing is in the arts, then work your butt off doing it. Because you're going to love doing that and you will eventually succeed. If you put enough work into it, into honing your craft, you will succeed at it to, to right. one. I don't know what varying level, but you will. Absolutely. Um, Courtney, what was the first book that uh, that that you got published and that that launched your writing career? Um, wait. Uh, Guardian. Uh, my book, Guardian, many years ago was my first book through a small press. Um, it was a YA book about a guardian angel. Actually, I don't even remember the year. I think it was maybe 2000. Gotcha. Um, can't really remember the year, maybe 2005. Gotcha. Long time ago. Do, do you remember what it was about that? Um, it, because if you're like most writers, I know that was probably not the first book that you wrote. No, it wasn't. Uh, that was, um, the first book that I was able to publish because it was YA and YA was starting to pick up a lot of steam at that time. Gotcha. So that's why that one um, was picked up by a small press. Do, do you remember, uh, was there a, a turning moment for you where um, you, the things that you had written previously, um, that, that there was a, 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 a defining line between those and the work that you were doing after that, that, that was publishable or, uh, did, was there a defining moment for you where you stepped into, uh, you know, the role that you now have? You know, I think maybe not a, a defining moment per se, but, um, I mean, my, my writing definitely 
progressed, you know, on its on its own. And so that's always a good thing. But also I do think that I remember the moment because, you know, keep in mind, I worked in marketing um, at that time and I did, there was kind of a come to Jesus, Jesus moment with myself when I thought, okay, um, now some, some artists would say, okay, that's selling out, but there's a point where you have to say, what is selling, you know, what's going to be selling. If you really want to get published, sometimes you have to write what's selling and that's what I did in that moment. And I wrote that book because YA was selling. So um, I guess that could be a defining moment as far as my first book that got published. It was that moment when I realized that sometimes you have to write something commercial and you have to write for people that are going to buy it. Right. Jackson's battle to take control over his own mind and life portrays what millions of people are fighting with around the world, mental illness. His mother, desperate to free him from his demons and desperation, faces her own turmoil and anguish, doing anything possible to save her son through love and hope. After countless emotional and heartbreaking triumphant moments, June and her son must both accept that only Jackson can save himself. Pick up Jackson by Lynn McLaughlin and discover why people are raving about this book and saying things like, Jackson is symbolic of millions living with some form of mental illness and his mother represents the millions who have their own struggles caring for someone with a mental health issue. Jackson by Lynn McLaughlin. Pick it up today at Amazon.com. Both Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career, meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one -on -one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden costs, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com uh, That's something that, that especially a lot of new writers really struggle with um, because uh, a lot of people feel like they have a story in them mm -hmm. and it, that it, it means something to them. And if mm -hmm. it means something to them, um, and I'm emphasizing means uh, because it, 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 it's personal uh, mm -hmm. very much. And uh, and there are definitely ways to have things that are very personal to you and that mean something deeply to you to also be commercial. And uh, that's something that a lot of people wrestle with is, you know, how do I write to market yet still be true to the, mm -hmm. the passion that I have and the vision that I have? Um, was that something that that you had to work through or did you because you worked in marketing, did you see that, mm -hmm. that you could have both? 
Um, I think I had, I think I had a little step up because I did work in marketing. And so I kind of understood already what it meant to mold yourself into what you needed to be. But, um, I mean, with that first book, I, I, I was raised, I was a preacher's kid and that, so I took my backgrounds, you know, and that's why that book, cause I knew paranormal YA was, was really starting to sell and I considered angels kind of paranormal. So that's kind of why I did that. But it was also still important to me because of my upbringing as a pastor's kid. And, you know, my, my dad had died like a, a couple of years before that. So that was also kind of a catalyst. And then, you know, honestly, as my career progressed, I, um, I did take things from my own life. Um, cause I, I went from YA to, I was one of the first authors that really broke out, um, in new adult. Um, my book, if you stay was new adult and that hit just when new adult was exploding. So, um, so I took something that was from my own life and, um, put it into that book, if you stay. And then even later than that, I, I switched from, I phased from new adult into women's fiction with saving back. And that was, I used my, my oldest son's struggle with drug addiction. Um, I used that in that book and I just put, I think readers can definitely tell if you, if you are passionate about a subject or a topic, um, and you put that into your writing and every one of the books that I've done that with has done really well. Do, do you, um, look at your career now and, and by, from my count, you, you published over 20 books. Um, yeah. it, do you consider yourself to be uh, an author whose feet are planted firmly in one genre or another? Um, when you when you begin a book, does it does genre uh, matter to you in the beginning? Um, my feet definitely haven't been firmly planted in any genre. I mean, they were at first, <laughs> and then I progressed. You know, I I didn't really do that on purpose. It just um kind of happened. And I just, you know, as I progress as a writer and different things happen to me in life, you know, I kind of, you know, use those topics, but, um, I will say, I will say that there is something smart in, in keeping your feet planted in one genre. I mean, that is smart marketing, you know, creating a brand. I, I don't want people to think, Oh, that's, you know, you can write whatever your heart wants and that's great. No, honestly, I do think it's smarter to, to use to become known for one thing. I just wasn't that smart when I started out. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, my advice for other young writers would be probably, you know, pick one genre. Um, or if you want more than one, definitely have a separate pen name, you know, to just differentiate that. But um, no, I, I obviously my, my genres are widely varying. <laughs> Well, speaking of pen name, um, you you write under the name um, uh, Courtney Evan Tate, which you, your new book, The Last to See Her, is uh, is a Courtney Evan Tate book, but also as Courtney Cole. Yes. Um, why why differentiate between the two names? What what's the difference? Okay, well, Courtney Evan Tate, um, that's my thriller name. Although the reason it came about was actually just logistical stuff, you know, admin stuff where I was under contract with Simon and Schuster at the time for saving back with my Courtney Cole. And then, um, so I, I was boxed in. So, um, I created the name Courtney Evan Tate as a way to write domestic thrillers, um, for Piper Collins, Mira. So, you know, sometimes the business side of, of writing, you, 
you know, kind of determines what you do. So, yeah. But so, no, Penny Evan Tate is, is my thriller name. So um, you said domestic thriller specifically. What what does that mean to you? Um, it's domestic thrillers are, you know, they are centric around the family somehow, you know, um, and they also keep you on the edge of your seat and like domestic noir. I really love that. I kind of want, I kind of want to do that next. Um, where it's just a little bit darker. Um, my Courtney Evan Tate books are kind of dark, but they could go a little bit further. And so, um, the domestic noir thing really kind of fascinates me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so when you, when you created Courtney Evan Tate, what was that first book that, uh, that launched you into the thriller space? Um, such dark things. And, and what was the, what was the first idea that, that came to you about that book? Um, it was about, uh, a man who had cheated on his wife and, um, it was just, uh, it was a point of view being told between him and his wife. And the way their life unraveled um, at that moment in the dark things that they never saw coming. And did um, uh, when you first envision a story, is it a character that first comes to you? Is it a setting? Where where does that story usually begin? I'm definitely a character writer. I see the characters first always. And so, um, I mean, I don't know why some I don't know why that happens to me, but no, I do. I see the characters clearly and I'll spend time, you know, I'll sit down and I'll discover everything about that character. And then the plot comes second. Gotcha. You followed that up with I'll be watching you. Um, And this is your third book, the last to see her. Mm -hmm. Um, As you go from book to book in, in a new genre where you're, you're uh, definitely making your own space there. Does it get, uh, does it feel more solid the the more books that you produce in the genre? Do you get more comfortable with the, the genre constraints? Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. Practice makes perfect. I don't want to say perfect because I'm my book, you know, my works, nobody's works perfect, but um, definitely practice helps. <laughs> you know, you do start feeling more comfortable in your own skin, so to speak. So um, definitely, definitely the more, the longer I'm in this genre, the more, and like I just said, I was wanting to kind of, push the envelope even a little bit. I'm just, I'm never really comfortable staying in one spot, you know, like I will, I don't know. It's just in my nature. I just want to kind of push the boundaries a little bit. So, um, but no, you do get very comfortable the longer you've been in there. What are some of the things that, that make a thriller, a thriller? What, what are some of the hallmarks that, uh, as a writer, when you're writing the book, you can read back over your draft and say, ah, there, there's not enough tension here, or there's not enough um, you know, X, Y, or, or, or whatever, what, what are some of those conventions that, that you need to live within as a thriller writer? I feel like the basic rule of thumb is so easy. I mean, it's so uncomplicated. You just have to make sure that you keep your reader on the edge of their seat, wondering what's going to happen next, keeping them, keep them biting their nails. And also I think having a little bit of a creep factor in there somehow, you know, like it has to be just slightly creepy. So, um, I feel like just concentrating on making their adrenaline pump and it's going to be a thriller, you know, like there's a lot of mechanical things we could talk about, but that's boring. So, um, you know, like 
I personally use the the eight point character arc and I kind of mesh that together with a three act structure and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's boring. Basically, I just want to make sure that um, that they are nervous. <laughs> <laughs> They're nervous. And if I can make them uncomfortable, that's even that's bonus points. Bo- and I'll absolutely. Too, but um, my very best editor well, one of my best, I've had some, I've been blessed to have truly great editors. One of my best editors, she told me one time, never leave drama on the table, you know, ramp it up. She, she would always put little, you know, comments on there, like ramp the tension up. Don't leave this on the table. You know, that's, you know, so I, I've always used that in every genre, you know, like people don't come to your books to be bored, you know? So I always try to extract the last bit of drama out of there I can and, um, and to keep them nervous. Don't leave anything on the table. That's great advice. That's mm-hmm. uh, because the worst thing you want is for there to be a setup that never pays off. Yes. Yes. So never leave anything on the table. That was honestly one of the best pieces of advice that I've been given from an editor. So the new book, The Last to See Her, um, mm-hmm. h- how did this story begin for you? Um, when you first started envisioning that, what was 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 Genevieve the first character that came to you or was yeah. it the this kind of missing person? Okay. So uh, Jen definitely was the one that I thought of first. Well, I don't even remember with this particular book, cause this book is not based on anything in my own personal life. Um, but I don't remember why, but I started um, this, you know what? This might be the only book where the plot actually came to me first because I, remember I was sitting in our family room and for some reason the idea for a story about two really close sisters going away for a weekend and then only one returns and then everybody you know um somehow they start focusing on the other sister um this is the only book I've ever done that I've thought of the plot first but um but yes I I I thought of Jen first and her character was just completely vivid to me so um, so then I immediately started plotting out the the characters before I fleshed out the plot. But um, but yeah, I just thought how intriguing I have um, two and a half sisters of my own, two sisters that I was born and raised with. And then one sister from um, my dad's subsequent marriage that um, she's a lot younger than me, but she's obviously still my sister. But um, my other two sisters, though, were only a year apart, all three of us. And. I just were, you know, we grew up just thick as thieves. And so I think if you have close sisters like that, um, it's always so interesting to come up with storylines about sisters like that and then kind of twist them into, you know, well, what if this happened? You know, what if, you know, this happened? So I think that's really where I got the basis for the sisters dynamic. Well, and and this is not just a, a simple uh, sisters trip that goes wrong. Um, Jen has some, some other things in her life going on. She's going through a messy divorce, uh, and which then, you know, ramps up tension all its own. Um, and and then, you know, you've got this, uh, other mysterious thing that happens, uh, in, in insurance policy. Um, how did you start pulling together the, the different, um, you aspects of the mystery, if you will. And when did that start taking shape? Well, I just started thinking what, what things could be, I don't want to say red herrings, but what things could possibly pop up 
that could have a logical explanation, but could also mean that, you know, could also absolutely implicate somebody close to her, you know, like, um, I, I don't want to give too much away. I don't know. I don't know exactly how to answer this without giving too much away, but, um, I just think that always something to keep in mind when you're writing, you know, any book, but especially a, a thriller, you always, everything you bring in has to have a purpose. Like if you write a scene, um, so I see so many newer writers like on social media or something saying they're writing a film. Oh, no, no. Every scene has to drive the plot forward. And if it's not, then you need to delete it, you know? So all of these little elements that I brought in, um, they served a purpose, you know, they either threw suspicion onto somebody else, you know, as a red herring or, they were real. And I don't want to differentiate which ones were which, cause I don't want to have any spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> you said earlier that you uh, are definitely a character uh, based writer. Um, yes. What is, what's your planning process like? Do, do you go into a new project with a plan? And if so, how much pre-writing do you do before you actually start writing the story? I am definitely a character writer. And what'll happen is I'll see this awesome character in my head. And then very shortly after that, I'll think, okay, how can I use this character? What kind of plot would would work for this character? So then I'll think of a sketchy plot. I'll sketch out a plot, just a skeletal plot. And then I'll sit down and really get to know the character, all of all about the character, favorite color, star sign, job, whatever. And then I start to I I, I fill in kind of a skeletal outline. But then I really just, and I'm talking skeletal, like basic plot points. And then what I do is as I go along, you know, I'll know where I want the book to go and I'll know how I want it to start the middle, you know, writers always talk about the dreaded middle. The middle is always the worst. I think it is that way for any writer. But what I personally do is the night before every night I sit down and I plot out in detail the next like couple chapters. Um, and then, so then when I actually go to write them, they just kind of, it, the writing comes, that flows far better. But I, um, I start out with only a skeletal plot. Do you, do you find that, um, doing that character work and, and really knowing and understanding, uh, a character's motivations and, Mm -hmm. um, the things that make him or her tick, um, does that help in those, uh, in, in those times where, you're sketching a couple of chapters ahead and, you know, thinking of what situation this character is going to bump into knowing their kind of what they're made of. Does that help move the story along? 1000%. And in fact, this was advice that the same editor that gave me the other advice I shared. She also, this one time, um, I had written, a like a trilogy, I think. And, um, with the second book, I turned it in. I literally turned the book in. And she said, she, she called me over the weekend and she said, listen, um, some of these characters aren't ringing true. And she's like, I love the storyline and I love the characters, but you've got to flesh these out. She's like, I want you to take this weekend. This was, I remember I was walking, I was taking the early morning walk and she called me and she's like, I want you to take this whole weekend and flesh out these characters. I want you to discover every single thing about um about these characters i want to know their favorite color i want to know what they would do in this situation blah 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 and that's 
like probably equally as important as the other piece of advice she gave me because it really makes it easier as the story goes by to know everything about this character. What would they do? What is out of character for them? Because you really honestly, you have to pull back the layers of each character like an onion the same way you would the plot. And so you don't want to have a data dump at the beginning of your book and just, you know, have your character be two dimensional and just tell the reader who they are. You want to show them as the story goes and you got to make them three dimensional. And I think you really can't do that unless you do, you know, take time to, to discover your characters in the beginning. Absolutely. The new book is called The Last to See Her. And like I said earlier, this is a thriller that you've got to have. You've got to get your hands on this book, whether it's uh, in Kindle edition or paperback, or uh, is there an audiobook of it? I, I forgot to look. Uh, yes. Excellent. Um, so however you like to consume books, you can grab it. We'll put links to all of those ways in the show notes of this episode. Um, Courtney, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Um, www.courtneycolewrites.com Excellent. We'll put links uh, there as well. Um, the last to see her, a fantastic book. You've got to grab it. Courtney, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a total pleasure. A hitman with a conscience. Ian Bragg is paid to kill people. Only bad people and not many, but for a great deal of money. Case the target. Make the hit. Move on until he meets the woman with sparkling green eyes who changes everything. A few pre-readers had this to say about Ian Bragg. Mark Dawson, million-selling thriller author, says a rip-roaring ride from start to breathless finish. Craig Martell hit a home run with the operator. The taut, lean prose and lightning-fast pace make this a page-turner without sacrificing an ounce of story or depth. You'll find yourself rooting for the hitman main character as he faces the toughest decision of his career. The Operator is the start of a new thriller series I expect to see burning up bestseller list for years to come, says A.C. Fuller, author of The Crime Beat and Alex Vane Media Thrillers. Suave, romantic, and lethal, Ian Bragg is everything you want in a highly paid assassin. Can't wait to ride this train, says James Blatch, self-publishing formula. It's been a long time since I fell this hard in love with a book, a very long time. Author of Women of Wine County Romantic Suspense, Terry Wells Brown says, Grab this book from Craig Martell, The Operator. Bone Thief, John Driscoll, Book One by Thomas O'Callaghan. A sociopathic killer is using the internet to lure seemingly random women to their gruesome deaths in New York City. During his heinous murder spree, this madman is extracting the bones of his victims. His sheer brutality has the residents of the Big Apple in panic mode. Who is this twisted psycho who's abducted a housewife in broad daylight only to dispose of her lifeless body alongside a lake in Prospect Park, nailed the boneless remains of a nameless drifter to the underside of a boardwalk at Rockaway Beach? allowed the gutted corpse of a single parent to wash ashore under the Brooklyn Bridge and has had the audacity to leave the desecrated body of the Magnolia Tea heiress rotting atop trash at one of the city's sanitation dumps. NYPD's top cop, Homicide Commander John W. Driscoll, has never witnessed such savagery. Hammered daily by the district attorney, the mayor and the police commissioner, the lieutenant 
who's battling his own inner demons, must use every resource available to put an end to the killings. In a race against time, Driscoll, aided by Sergeant Alagante and Detective Cedric Tomlinson, sets out on a roller coaster of an investigation to first identify the villainous fiend and then put an end to his butchering. Grab Bone Thief by Thomas O'Callaghan now. <laughs>